The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. We are in week two of our new series called Ship Shape. Somebody say Ship Shape. Ship Shape. shape. And we are talking about the ships that should shape our lives as followers of Jesus Christ, which in turn should be shaping this body of believers, this house, our culture here at New Song. Uh, Last week, Pastor Josh taught a great message on citizenship and how we were once lost but we now are found, that we were the one that Jesus went after and we became part of the family of God and we are citizens of heaven. And our citizenship uh, now should cause our heart to beat, our mission to be to help others be found, to help God uh, bring others into the family of God. We should have a burden for souls. We should be inviting people to come and see and meet our Jesus citizenship. We want them to be citizens of heaven. Today, I want to talk to you about worship. Worship. Somebody say worship. Worship. Uh, Seven years ago, Josh and I moved here to Oklahoma City from Little Elm, Texas. We, uh, We felt like God said, it is time. Like, like Rafiki on Lion King, it is time. It was time for us to move here and plant New Song Church. And we left behind a great church. Josh left behind a great position as a kids pastor. Uh, we left behind a great salary. And we left behind my favorite stability. <laughs> and we moved here where we knew no one. And we had an 11-month-old baby girl, Sunny, and three-year-old daughter, Bo. And, and our son, Gus, was six at the time. And, and the, those great paychecks from that great church, they were going uh, to come to an end after 90 days of being here. So we weren't really sure where our finances were going to come from because a church that doesn't exist yet can't exactly pay its pastors. But we knew that God said it is time and we didn't worry much about the logistics. We just stepped out in faithfulness and we knew that God would follow with favor and he did. He supernaturally and miraculously took care of us. Uh, We bought a house in North OKC. We got settled, we got unpacked, and then we began to get to work because in nine months, we had to launch New Song Church. And and during that nine-month time period, uh, while New Song was still in utero, our family of five, we would go to different churches around the city uh, every Sunday morning. One, because we we didn't want our, our kids to be out of church Uh, for nine months, and two, because we wanted to be in church. And so we'd go and visit these churches, and if I'm being honest with you, there were times when we would visit churches where I would really start to wonder what on earth we were doing here. Um, Like, why are we here? And this church seems to be really great, and um, like, are we sure that Oklahoma City needs New Song Church? Like, why would anyone want to come to a mobile startup church with a pastor that they don't know from Adam that meets in an elementary school cafeteria? Like, what are we 
doing? Uh, and so I'd have these, these, these moments of doubt, which I would not tell Josh about. Um, and, and, um, and, and God began to deal with my doubt, though. He began to show me that there was a reason that that new song was supposed to be here in Oklahoma City. He began to show us our specific mandate, our specific mission, our assignment here in the city. And I'll never forget this one Sunday when we were visiting one of these great churches. We pull into the parking lot, and the parking lot is full, and this building is beautiful. And, and you walk in, and there's all these friendly people greeting you. We check our kids into kids' ministry, and I'm, again, going, what are we doing here? Like, this is a great church. They don't need any more great churches. They got a lot of them. We go into the auditorium. It's full of warm bodies. The, 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 the band starts. The sound is full. The musicians are talented. Uh, it's great. I'm ready to worship my king. But as I look around the full room, I notice that the hearts of all the people in the full room seem really empty. And, and I, it takes me back and I'm kind of going, well, maybe Maybe it, it's like song two, they start to like come alive here and they start to worship God. Or may, maybe it's song three, but, but I kid you not, the entire worship set, uh, people are standing aloof with, with like hands in their pocket, coffee cups to their chest, lips not moving, hands not clapping, just kind of watching the worship team do their thing. And this moment just broke my heart. I remember crying, just crying and, and feeling offended for Jesus. Like, what are they? Well, I wanted to, to, to go around and like shake some people and maybe like knock their coffee out of their hands. Like, what are you doing? Like, don't you realize who you're here for? What, what are you doing? Like the king is here. Haven't you come to worship him? Don't you have any praise to offer him? Can't you move your mouth a little bit? Like, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten that he welcomed you into his family, that he, he made you a part of, of his kingdom? Like, like what's going on? And, and you may be thinking, well, maybe they were all new believers. I, I doubt it. There may have been a handful of new, like never, never asked Jesus into their hearts. They weren't citizens of heaven yet. There may have been a handful of people like that in the room. But I promise you, if you were to go around and ask them, uh, is Jesus the Lord of your life? Are you a citizen of heaven? They would have been like, yes, I'm a citizen of heaven, redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Uh, I'm part of the kingdom of God. I, that day, though, it seemed like they had grown dangerously familiar with it all. And it was on the way home in the car that God really began to solidify why we were here as a church, that we were called here to create a culture of worshipers, people who loved God and know God in such a real and personal and tangible way that worship is a hallmark of their life, that they can't help not to worship God. It's just who they are. It is in them. Is worship a hallmark of your life? Is it a ship that shapes you? Today, as, as we uncover the biblical definition of worship, I pray that you get an understanding of this, like that you leave here with an understanding of what biblical worship looks like. 
But more importantly, my prayer is that this head knowledge that you receive today will not just stay head knowledge, but that it would move down deep into your heart because you're gonna put this word into practice. You're gonna, you're gonna give it real life, hands-on experience because you can take all of the notes today and you can listen to this message when it comes out on the podcast over and over again until you could quote it back to your small group, but that will all be for naught if you don't take this head knowledge and apply it and put it into practice. We say here at New Song all of the time that history makers are note takers or note takers are history makers, but that doesn't actually apply if the people taking the notes aren't doing the things that they're writing in their notebooks. Today isn't about just taking great notes or, 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 or grabbing a quote that you can put on your Instagram story. That's not what this is about. Today, it's about making this become part of who we are by applying it. Action is required. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today and we say thank you. Thank you that we can come together like this and worship you freely. We don't take it for granted and we're thankful for that this morning. For this body of believers gathered here today in Edmond, we are thankful, God. I pray that you would help us to put aside any distractions, anything that's trying to take our attention and focus off of you. Help us to lay it aside. Help us to zone in on what you want to say and what you want to do. We say, Lord, speak. We are listening. Deal with our hearts today. Minister to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14. Get out your new song app. If you want to take notes there, you can. Get out your notebooks, John chapter 14. And as you get ready, I want you to uh, think about this question. What is worship? What is worship? I think if we were to go around the room and call on a couple of different people, like what is worship to you, we're going to get a wide range of answers some people are going to say, well, worship is what we just did, like where David Terry sings and Katie Quinn and, and we, we sing songs together as a church. That's worship. Other people are going to say, no, worship is simply giving thanks to God. Other people are going to say worship is a hymnal in hand, which, which if that's you, then you're probably a little shocked today that there were no hymnals. There's an organ piping away. Other people would say, no, it's none of that. It, it's guitars and it's bass and it's LED screens. Some might say worship is a feeling. Like it's, it's a way that I can experience God and feel his presence. Others would say worship is, is, is the belonging co and it, it's Carrie and Cody and it's Maverick City music and it's Chandler Moore and it's Elevation and it's Lauren Daigle. It's my worship playlist on Spotify. That's worship. But worship is more than a song. It is more than a feeling. Worship is more than words. Pastor Ken talked about this in his exhortation, which I think is so cool. He talked about the Hebrew word for worship, like, and that's what I'm going to be talking about. We did not plan that. He told me in the green room last night, I was like, that's what I'm talking about, which is so cool because you know that the Holy Spirit is trying to say something to us. He's prophesying to you today. In the Old Testament, 
The most common word for worship is that word shakah, and I don't say it as good as Pastor Ken, but it means to bow down, to lay face down in reverence. That's the humility that he was talking about. And in the New Testament, the word that is most uh, commonly translated to worship is a Greek word proskuneo, and it means the same thing as the Hebrew word. It means to kneel, to bow, to lay face down and reverence. Now, I doubt, unless you were here last service or last night, that when I asked you what is worship, I doubt the first thing that popped into your mind was to bow, to lay face down in reverence. And I'm guessing that as we uncover this, a lot of you aren't super pumped about this definition. You're like, yes, worship, bowing down. I'm going to tweet that right now. It's not super tweetable. It's not super flashy. And it kind of rubs against all that we are as Americans. America is not a bowing nation, right? There are some cultures where um, people are taught to bow to their elders, or to bow to their leaders, or to bow to their senseis, but America is not bowing to anyone. Americans, we like dignified postures. We like to salute, right? We like to salute, to stand at attention. We like to hold our hands over our hearts. We don't like this undignified posture. The only time that you're going to see an American on his knees unless it's at a church service, is if they're under arrest or if they are proposing marriage, which some of you are thinking that was one and the same for me. And if that is you, we have marriage ministry. It is available at newsongpeople.com cares. But we don't like this. This, this, this undignified position of reverence, as foreign as this is to us, but I'm telling you, it's the very essence of biblical worship. If you're taking notes, write it down. Bowing down before God is the very essence of biblical worship. So since part of our mission and mandate here in Oklahoma City is to create a culture of worshipers, then we are going to change everything next Sunday. Beginning next Sunday, during the 23 minutes of worship, we're going to cease from standing and we will just bow and we will just lay on our faces before God. Okay? We're going to change it. No, we're not. I'm just kidding. Because here's the thing. This is the essence of biblical worship, but we have to understand that God is not so much after a physical posture as he is the posture of our heart. Now, before you say, okay, well, then that means I can just stand any way I want and do anything I want during worship. You need to understand that while he is after what's going on inwardly, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, our outward posture reflects what's going on inwardly. If you're a mom, you know this. Like I, with my kids, I know if something's weighing on their mind without them saying a word. I can tell it by their outward posture. I can tell when Bo's getting off the, the bus, whether she has a bounce in her step or, or not. I can tell if she had a hard day. I can tell if they're tired just by their outward posture. So while God is not looking just for an outward posture, we have to remember that often, but not always, our outward posture reflects what's going on inwardly. Let me say it like this. If you have a hang-up with getting on your knees and bowing before God physically, then you probably have a hang-up here in your heart. 
Now, on the other hand, I've known a lot of people who love to outwardly express worship. People who will be on the front row, you know, during worship night, just getting it, worship, worshiping, going after it, face down, crying. But then when you get to know them, their hearts are far from God the rest of the week. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 15, 8. He says, these people honor me with their lips, the outward expression, but their hearts are far from me. Then he says this, which is really hard, but it's so true. He says, their worship is a farce. Listen, worship is a holistic act. It's a holistic act. It's not, a, it's not just about what our lips are singing or our hands are doing or whether we're sitting or we're standing. It's about the posture of our heart. King Solomon was the wisest man to ever live besides Jesus. And he says in Proverbs 4 that above all else, the most important thing above all else as he's giving this advice is to guard your heart because it's out of your heart that everything else flows from, including our worship. Worship is more than a song. It is more than a feeling. It is more than words. Now, we've done entire series um, on worship here at New Song over the last almost six years. We've done standalone messages on worship. We've talked about worship a lot. And in the past, we've defined worship as love expressed. And while I think that's a great starting point, I think that we have to expound on that definition. The more I thought about that this week, I thought, well, if worship is love expressed, then when I express my love to Josh, my husband, when I express my love to my children, am I worshiping them? When I express my love uh, uh, for my new little puppy, Frankie, she's so cute, I really do love her so much. When I express my love to Frankie, when I express my love for my new espresso machine, <laughs> am I worshiping those things? If love expressed is worship, when I express my love to my family and friends and things that I enjoy, am I worshiping those things? If so, then I better stop expressing my love to them because we are told that we're only to worship the one true God. So how is, how is it different expressing our love to our family and friends and God? It's really not, which leads me to believe that love expressed is not the best way to define biblical worship. Biblical worship is more than love expressed. It's kingship expressed. I want you to write that down this morning. But more importantly, we're going to live this out. Don't just write it down. Live this out. Biblical worship is more than love expressed. It's kingship expressed. If worship is a ship that should shape our lives, then kingship is its counterpart. The kingship of Jesus should shape the lives of every follower of Jesus Christ. This is acknowledging that Jesus is king. And then it's living every day in light of that. And acknowledging Jesus as king, it brings us back to the very essence of biblical worship, which is bowing down in reverence to him. Now, while I do express my love to my kids and my family, to my husband, like for instance, Sunny, my seven-year-old, I express my love to her. And I say, Sunny, we have this bedtime routine. Sunny, I love you. 
I love you. Here's your 14 kisses. She likes 14 kisses. It's a long story. Here's your 14 kisses. I love your little freckles. I love your blue eyes. I love your heart for people. I love you so much. I do that, but I've never once said, Sonny, I want you to be the supreme ruler of my life. Sonny, you are the queen of my heart. I am giving all authority over to you. You are the total authority in my life. Are you tracking with me? There's a difference between expressing love and expressing kingship. Worship is expressing kingship. It's acknowledging that God is not just the king, but that he is my king. And then it's living every day in light of that. Now, a lot of people claim to love Jesus. They say they love Jesus with their lips. I love Jesus. I really love Jesus. I really love the teachings of Jesus or most of the teachings of Jesus. And I, I really love the people of Jesus. And I really love, uh, I, 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 I love, just, I just really love Jesus. That's what they say with their lips. But what they say with their lives is, I just really don't want him telling me how to live my life. And, and Jesus says that's not really love at all. In John 14, 15, he's talking to his disciples, and here's what he says. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Not if you love me, sing to me for hours and hours. Not if you love me, tell me you love me with your lips over and over again. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But he's very clear here. If you love me, keep my commandments. David Guzik, he says, it's easy to think of loving Jesus in merely sentimental or emotional terms. It's wonderful when our love for Jesus has sentiment and passion, but it must always be connected to keeping his commandments or it isn't love at all. If you love me, keep my commandments. This is where love expressed meets kingship expressed. And this is the heart of worship. To love God so much that we give him full reign. Every part of our lives bowed before him in reverence, saying it's no longer I who lives but you. It's saying not only do I love you, but I do want you to be the supreme ruler of my heart, of my life. I want you to tell me how to live my life. I want you to show me how to live my life. I want you to help me. I want you to empower me. Live my life in your kingdom. This is worship. It's more than love expressed. It's kingship expressed, and we express kingship by keeping the commands of our king, by keeping his commands. Now, Some of you may be thinking that you're pretty sure (laughs) that this is not what Matt Redman was talking about when he wrote, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, right? That he wasn't talking about just a bunch of laws and commands that we have to follow to show that we love God. Like, this sounds legalistic. And I think Pastor Sarah might be into works-based faith. Listen, before you start to go there, Before you start to think that, before you start to kind of settle and you just do your legalistic thing over there, obey all the commands, I'm going to stay over here with my Worship Today playlist on Spotify. And I'm going to stay over here where it feels good and it's tingly and and I get to to feel God. Okay, before you start to think that way, I want to clarify something that Jesus said. He says there's a motivation that we have to have behind following his commands. And look at it. It's if you love me. You'll keep my commands. This isn't legalistic at all. 
It's about love. He didn't say, if you want to earn favor with me, keep my commands. He, he didn't say, if you want to look better than everybody else in your small group, then keep my commands. If you want to have a bigger mansion in heaven, then you should keep my commands. He didn't say, if you don't want me to smite you, then keep my commands. He didn't say, if you want me to love you more, then you keep my commands. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. It's about relationship, another ship that has to shape our lives as believers. Relationship, it's about our heart. It's about our love for him. Love and kingship expressed through obedience. This isn't legalistic. This isn't about uh, testing your morality. This isn't about being a source of pride uh, so that you can look better than everybody else like it was for the Pharisees. This is about relationship. So if it's our love that's supposed to motivate us to keep the commands of our king, then the question that has to be asked, the question that has to be answered is do you love God? Do you love Jesus? Before we can get into these commands, that question has to be asked and answered. Because if you don't love God, you're not going to be able to keep his commands. You will find yourself so frustrated because your motivation for keeping his commands is off. It's not your love for him. It's something else. So do you love him? Do you love Jesus? Do you love God? I want to look at a verse together in John 15. And, and I know that you've heard this verse before. You'll all probably be familiar with it. We hear this verse on Memorial Day when we're talking about, uh, about soldiers who've given their lives for the country. Maybe you thought of this verse this week when you heard about the 13 servicemen who lost their lives in Afghanistan. You're thinking about how great their love is for our country. But when we look at this verse today, I don't want you to look at, look at it and think about servicemen. I don't want you to look at it and even think about God's love for you. I want you to look at this verse and think about your love for him. Okay, John 15, 13. It says, there's no greater love. That's what we're talking about, right? How do you love Jesus with this kind of love? There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Is Jesus a friend? Would you call him friend? And not just any friend, but the kind of friend that you are willing to lay down your life for. You know that you love Jesus when you can say with all of your heart that there is no greater call than to give him my all. I lay it all down. My will, my way, my preference, my opinions, my agendas, my ambition, I lay it all down at the feet of Jesus. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. Maybe you love Jesus like that at some point. You fell in love with him. You had a, a, maybe a radical transformation and you were so on fire for God, but you'd say, I've drifted. And that happens. It says in scripture, there's this powerful scripture, be careful lest ye drift. Very powerful five words. We can drift from our love and our relationship with Jesus. Or, or, or maybe you you are new to following God. And you say, I know Jesus, 
And I'd say he's a friend, but he's more like a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend. And he's not the kind of friend that I'm willing to lay down my life for. That's okay. You're on your journey with Jesus. You need to get to know him more so you can fall in love with him more. Or maybe you think today that you love Jesus, but it's really the church that you love. And I think that's where a lot of people are today in the big C church and probably even in this room. You think you love Jesus, but you've mistaken your love for the church for your love for Jesus. You love New Song Church. You love belonging to this church, the sense of belonging that you have here. You, you, you love serving, getting to use your gifts. You love your small group. You love experiences like worship night. You love the church. Listen, that's awesome. I want you to love New Song Church. I love New Song Church. I want you to love the bride of Christ. Scripture refers to the church as the bride of Christ. I want you to love the bride of Christ, but I want you to love Jesus most. The bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom. We're to love him most. Think about the last wedding that you went to. Think about the last wedding that you went to. All weddings like, are, are like this today. The last one I went to was for Levi and Pilar Reese, if you know them. Pilar was singing over here today, the hat on. She's beautiful, stunning. Of course, she was an amazing bride. Levi, when he walked in, nobody gasped right? Nobody was like, Levi, look at Levi. Nobody was talking about his suit the next day. Uh, Nobody stood when he walked into the room. It was all about the bride. I don't want this to be like that. I don't want it to all be about the bride because this is for the bridegroom. All of this is for you. All of this is for you. It's for the bridegroom. Yes, love the church, but love the bridegroom most. Because loving the church, loving New Song students, it's not going to transform your life. Loving Jesus will. We have to love Jesus. Do you love him? I wish I could make you love Jesus. I wish I could. I wish I could make you fall in love with him, but I can't. When I was seven years old, the movie Aladdin came out which is the perfect age to see Aladdin. Like, I was a huge Aladdin fan. Had a birthday party that year, sheet cake, black teeth, eating the icing, like this, the figurines on top of the cake. I had a big stuffed Abu on my bed. Like, I grew up in the golden age of Disney movies. Howard Ashman was still alive, and he was coming out with Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and Lion King and Aladdin, and classics. And then there's like the sleeper, the goofy movie. Any goofy movie fans? That movie is that movie is good. Like Powerline, I mean, that is a good Disney movie. Uh, but Aladdin, okay, I loved Aladdin. I know you've probably seen it. And you remember the scene where the genie, played brilliantly by Robin Williams, he comes out and he talks about the terms and conditions of the three wishes that he can grant to Aladdin. He says he can't kill anyone, He can't make people fall in love, and he can't bring anyone back from the dead. Now, just like the genie, I cannot make you fall in love with Jesus. But you'll remember in the movie, he helps Jasmine notice Aladdin. Now, it's not really Aladdin. It's a counterfeit Aladdin. It's Prince Ali, and that's a whole nother message right there. I can help you notice Jesus, 
And, and the pastors here on staff, we can help you notice Jesus and it won't be a counterfeit Jesus. It'll be the real Jesus. We'll do our best to present the real Jesus to you. I can help you notice him. Pastor Josh, Pastor Tondrai, Pastor Jackson, we can help you notice him, but we can't make you fall in love with him. That is you. That is on you. That has to be your personal pursuit of Jesus. So how does this work? You seek him. And when you seek him, scripture says you find him. And when you find him, you begin to fall in love with him. And then you repeat that cycle. You seek him. You seek him more. You find more of him. You fall in love with him more. You do it over and over again. I'm 36 years old. And I have grown up in the church. My mom had me at church when I was like six days old. And I was there Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday night. And when I was 20, I surrendered all to Jesus. Had a come to Jesus, you can have it all. You are my king. I'm no longer the king. You are the king Jesus. That was 16 years ago. And I've been pastoring this church with Josh for six years. But I'm telling you, the last nine months, I have fallen more in love with Jesus than ever before in my life. And it wasn't because of a message I heard. It wasn't because of an experience at worship night. It was just a personal pursuit of him. Like, I'm not satisfied with how much I know Jesus. I know there's more. And so I determined to become a student of Jesus, to study him, his words, his nature, his character, the word made flesh, this infinite, infinitely incredible Jesus that I could never get to the end of. But as I decided and determined to seek him like never before, the fruit was I'm in love with him like never before listen if you seek him you will find him and I promise you what you will find is the kind of friend that sticks closer than a brother the kind of friend who will not let you down the kind of friend who is faithful and consistent and perfect in all of his ways the kind of friend that you are willing to lay your life down every moment of every day for no greater love you can experience that you can love Jesus like that you just have to seek him him for yourself and be determined that you're going to find him do you love him if you love him you'll be motivated by that love to keep his commands so as we close I want to talk about these commands what commands is Jesus wanting us to keep as we express kingship to him as we worship him is he talking about the Ten Commandments yes and no. He's talking about three departing commands that he leaves with his disciples before he goes to the cross. Now in doing this, giving these commands, he's not throwing out the Old, Old Testament. He's not throwing out the Ten Commandments. Jesus was not in the business of, of saying, don't pay attention to the Ten Commandments anymore. Jesus was in the business of showing us the kingdom principles behind the commands. So like in the, the Old Testament, it's thou shall not murder. It is a law. It is a rule. Follow it. But in the New Testament, Jesus comes along and he says, see the value in every person. Right? It's not a law. It's not a rule. It's a mindset. It's a change of heart. He came to, to establish and to inaugurate a new kingdom, a new culture, a new way of thinking. And realize when he says, see the value in people, it takes care of the rule and the law, don't murder people. 
Because if you see the value in somebody, you're not going to murder somebody. So he's not throwing them aside, but he's trying to give us the principle. He's trying to show us new culture. He's trying to get us to live and, and move and think differently and, and to be aware of his kingdom principle. So as we look at these commands, don't just think, okay, if I just follow these three rules, then I love God and I'm a worshiper. I, I just got to follow these rules. No, I, I want you to see this is kingdom culture. That, that this is not just a rule to follow, but this is a, a new way of thinking to adopt and that we will gladly adopt and, and work on uh, as we love Jesus. Okay, John chapter 13. Go back one chapter, John chapter 13. And this is where we see the first departing command of Jesus. He knows that his time has come. He knows he is about to face the torture of the cross. He knows that Judas is about to betray him. And look what he does. John 13, verses 4 and 5. So he got up from the table. He took off his robe. He wrapped a towel around his waist, and he poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Now, most people, if you have a heads up and you know that your time has come, going to be all about you, right? Like, where can I go eat the most indulgent meal? Where can I go satisfy my flesh? How can I be, have my family and friends gathered around me? How can I knock something cool off my bucket list? But this is not the heart of Jesus. He's not like, okay, tomorrow I'll do the most selfless thing in the history of the world, but today it's going to be all about Jesus. My time has come. That's not his heart. At this critical moment, He's not thinking of himself. He's thinking of his disciples. It says he took the position of the lowest servant in the household. Now, I can't get into all the intricacies of this amazing and extreme act of servanthood. But if you want to study Jesus this week, I encourage you to study this story. It's one of those stories as you study it, it will make you fall more in love with Jesus. So he, he puts himself in this position, the lowest servant in the household. And then in John 13, 12 through 15, he says to the disciples, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Here's the command, right? If we love him, we'll keep his commands. Here's the command. Do as I have done for you. Do as I have done for you. Now, Jesus, his entire life is an, is an example for us to follow, right? But he is making a point to draw the disciples' attention to this act of how he washed their feet. Now, is he saying to them, I think that, that when I leave, I want you to host ceremonial foot washing celebrations, like once a week, you know, get out a basin, wrap an apron around yourself and wash some people's feet. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, do as I did. He's saying, take on this extreme form of servanthood. Serve other people. Wash other people's feet. Paul said this later in 1 Peter, wrap the apron of humility around yourself. That's what he's saying. Do as I do. And, and as you bow down to serve others, realize it is like you are bowing down in reverence and worship to God. You are doing what he's commanding you to do. This is an act of worship. So what does this look like? Like, 
How do you take on this extreme form of servanthood? How do you wash others' feet? There's many ways to do it, but let me just give you this idea. Anything that we do for someone that washes away the filth of the world and the dust of defeat and discouragement, that's foot washing. Parents, your kids are back in school, right? Don't be too important. Don't be too busy. Don't be too disengaged that you do not take the time to wrap an apron of humility around yourself and wash the defeat, the discouragement, the filth that gets on them while they are at school. Well, my kids go to Christian school. I don't have to worry about it. Yeah, you do. Get down and wash their feet with the word of God. Serve them. You do not know what they are going through. The things that the kids in schools are facing today is nothing. It is nothing like when we were in school, parents. It is so much worse. They need you to get in their world, to wash their feet, wash the world off of them with the word of God. Humble yourself, get into their world, understand what they're dealing with, love them enough so you have that relational equity that they're willing to do this with you. Like Peter, he didn't want Jesus to wash his feet, but Jesus said, you gotta let me do this. Your kids may not want it at first, but they gotta let you do it. Maybe you don't have kids, so you're thinking this doesn't apply to you. It does. Find somebody else's feet that you can wash. Who can you wash the filth and defeat and discouragement off of this week? Maybe it's a nurse who's dealing with all this COVID stuff. Maybe it's a teacher who's dealing with all this stuff. They're worried. They're stressed. They're anxious. Who can you wash the filth of the world off of with the water of the word of God? If you love Jesus, you will wash others' feet. You will keep this command because you're motivated by your love. For him. The next departing command of Jesus is John chapter 13, just a few verses down. He says to the disciples, dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. So now I'm giving you a new commandment, not new like it's never been said or thought of before, but new as in I'm going to present this in a fresh way. I'm giving you a new commandment. He says, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. If we love him, we'll keep his commands, right? If we love him, we will keep his command to love each other just as he has loved us. Now, we all are familiar with the command to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And how many know you love yourself pretty good, right? You make sure you have food, water, shelter. You look out for yourself. This is how we are to love our neighbor, to love the world. We love the world like we love ourselves. But here Jesus is, is calling us somewhere else, somewhere higher. He's saying, between you, disciples, fellow believers, you're to love each other, not as you love yourself, but you're to love each other as I have loved you. As much as you love yourself, guess what? Jesus loves you a whole lot better than you love you. And this is how we're supposed to love our fellow believer. He's calling us to a higher level of love. This is so important, new song. We can come in here and we can worship and we can get after it and we can raise our hands in the presence of God. But listen, it's a farce if we don't love each other like he loves us. And I don't know about you, but for me, this is, this, it's easier for me to love the world 
like I love myself than it is for me to love fellow believers. The world is annoying. They do things that frustrate me, people in the world, people that are unsaved, but it's easier to love them because I know they still have scales on their eyes and I know that they're living in darkness and so they don't know any better. So there's a grace for them and a love for them. But when it comes to my fellow believers, I find they annoy me and, 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 and do things that they, like, I'm like, you know better, right? Jesus knew this. He knew that we would need a higher level of love between us, between fellow believers. You know, not too long ago, when the world was in crisis, they would turn to the church. They would turn to people like Billy Graham. What does the church have to say? That's not the case anymore. And the world is, in, is on fire. They're not looking to the church. Why? because we haven't been proving that we're disciples of Jesus. There's so much division in the big C church, theological divisions, racial, political, left-wing, right-wing. Cancel this, cancel that. You're vaccinated, you're not vaccinated. You like masks, you don't. There's so much division. It would be really hard to be an onlooker for, for those on the outside looking in, for us to prove we're disciples of Jesus by the way that we're loving each other. If we love him, we'll keep this command to love one another like he loved us, that you have to offer and extend to your fellow believer the same mercy and grace and forgiveness and truth that Jesus has offered to you. We have to love each other like he has loved us. This is the heart of worship. This is kingship expressed. These commands that my king has commanded, this is what he says kingdom living looks like. And so this is what we dedicate our life to. The last departing command he gave them in John 14, verse one, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. He used very strong language there. This is a command, not a suggestion. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also is me. in me. Jesus is commanding his very troubled disciples who have very good reason to be troubled. Like he just told them, one of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to deny me and I'm out of here. They have very good reason to be troubled. And yet he says, don't let it happen. He says, stop it. Don't allow it. Listen, we live in a troubling world. You know that. It is obvious. Just this, this last couple weeks alone, everything going on in Afghanistan and, and, and the variant and, and, and earthquakes, natural disasters and fires and all that stuff. And then not only that, but, but what we deal with personally. So we live in a troubling world, but Jesus says we don't have to let our heart be troubled. Why would Jesus command us to do something that is impossible to do? Why would he do this? Why would he command us to do something impossible to do? He didn't. He would never command you to do something that's impossible for you to do. So the fact that he commands this and uses such strong language lets us know that it is not impossible. That when we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can have the ability to not let our hearts be troubled. Some of it is simple. Some of it is common sense. Some of it is the news troubles you, just turn the news off. Your Facebook feed troubles your heart, makes your heart troubled. Stop getting on Facebook. Like it's simple. 
Just do it. It's common sense. If you, if you don't understand that, then I'm not going to be able to help you much. Like, just turn it off. But then there's some things that, 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 that can't be turned off. It's not as simple as turning off the TV or stop scrolling Instagram, right? Because turning off the TV doesn't help your heart to stop thinking about that prodigal child or the passionless marriage or the bills that are piling up or the grim diagnosis or the test that you have to pass or the tryout that's coming up that has your heart troubled. So what do we do with those things that we can't just like ignore? They're just there, right? We'll look at the rest of the command. It says, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. If we love him, we will keep his commands. We will keep his command to trust him. And this brings us back to the very essence of biblical worship. If we love him, we will bow down in a place saying, we trust you fully. I trust you. I see all this going on in the world. I can't see the goodness of God right now, but I believe I trust that I will see the goodness of God. I don't, this doesn't make sense to my natural mind, but I do not lean on my own understanding. I trust you. I trust you. You're my king. You're a good king. This is biblical worship. This is kingship expressed. This is how my king says we're to live in his kingdom. And so this is what I will dedicate my life to doing, not because I have to, but because I love him. Because I love him. If we love him, we'll acknowledge he's king. We'll be motivated by that love to keep his commandments. And we will experience the very real kingdom of God that is here now and at hand. We will experience it in our everyday lives. And as we live in this kingdom and as we move through this kingdom and as we have this kingdom culture, it's in us. It's who we are. We are kingdom people as we serve others and wash others' feet, as we love each other as he's loved us, as we trust him, as we thrive in his kingdom, then what happens when we come together in a room like this for corporate worship? We don't have to beg you to lift your hands. We don't have to try to excite you and get you to clap your hands. We don't have to tell you you need to, to kneel before for God. It's just what happens naturally. You have no other choice but to respond to the kingdom. You've been living in it all week. His kingdom is real. His kingdom is now and he is my king and I'm here to respond. We will naturally do what it says in Psalms 5. We will naturally enter God's house to the abundance of his steadfast love and tender mercy. At his holy temple, we will bow obediently in reverence for him. We will naturally shout praises to God, raise the roof for the rock who saved us. We'll march into his presence singing praises, lifting the rafters with our hymns. And why? Because God is the best. We've been living with him and walking with him all week, acknowledging he's king, high king over all gods. We will bow before him on our knees before God who made us. If you would stand to your feet. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, Go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.